Welcome to The Rot Focus, a podcast for rotters, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Rooms, all from Rotters Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, drive a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. Reaching the Psyche of Your Primary Characters When a story idea strikes, if your mind doesn't start with the central character, then it will focus on a single character very quickly. Your mind will swirl around a scenario, and the center of the vortex will soon resolve around one primary character. That character may be your main character, the one who controls the perspective of the story. Or maybe that character is the one that draws what will become your main character into the story. This focusing character may even be the one who causes all the problems. Any character can serve as a primary. We writers decide who will be the focus based on which character is best suited to defeat the rising conflict. That's a backwards development by we writers. Once we determine the conflict, we craft the character who will best meet it. We generate ideas around our primary characters. The goal is a circle of characters spinning around an interactive conflict with a push-pull synergy. Synergy is the benefit that results when two or more agents work together to achieve something that either one of them could not have achieved on their own. It's the concept of the whole being greater than the sum of its two parts. That's a definition from Merriam-Webster. Two people opposing each other will create a novel. Our primary characters, the solution finder and the conflict creator, They cannot work alone. We need both of them to drive the novel. The push-pull part of synergy means a constant tug of war. These central characters are enmeshed, snarled with each other, like entwined honeysuckle vines. Neither one can leave the tangle without breaking off from the story's root. The protagonist and antagonist are in duality. The primary characters are paired one opposing the other in this push-pull synergy. For best effect, they mirror each other. The core character, who is the solution finder, is the protagonist. Two core characters require shifting points of view. The protagonist is the character facing, pro for before, the conflict. Agon in ancient Greek means conflict. Whether the resolution of the conflict is positive or negative, it will occur. Even an ongoing conflict is resolved negatively by never being resolved. People often call the protagonist a hero, a word that requires a character who rescues others and a story resolution that ends happily ever after. Hero in the ancient Greek means demigod, but the word is actually much older, a proto-word from an Indo-European root that means protector or defender. This foundation gives us a person confronted with extraordinary tribulation who places the needs of others over private needs. Heroes 
Male and female are often gifted with talents and abilities or actual gifts, like a winged helmet or enchanting music or a flower called moly. Gifts that heroes received in order Perseus, Orpheus, and Odysseus. That winged helmet or enchanting music or the moly. Their deeds were the death of the Gorgon Medusa for Perseus, the recovery of his wife from the realm of Hades for Orpheus, and escape from the transformative powers of the sorceress Circe for Odysseus. These gifts allow heroes to perform their extraordinary deeds that would endanger and defeat others. Whether hero or heroine, the character is clearly painted in the brighter shades of the spectrum. When drawing protagonists, however, writers dip their paintbrushes across the whole palette. Even the ancient Greeks gave their protagonists serious flaws. The forgetfulness of Theseus, which leads to his father's death. The ambition of Jason, which drives him to seek a kingdom and results in the death of his new wife and his children, and a king. The wrath of Achilles, which causes the death of the noble Hector and the desecration of Hector's corpse. As Greek protagonists drive toward their goals, they cause their own doom. Ancient Roman protagonists like Aeneas fulfill their destiny. With your novel, what ending are you reaching for? Yes, writers begin with the end in mind, that quotation from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. For writers, that book contains a wealth of information on the negative side, for our characters are often highly ineffective before they get their novel acts together. Do we want our primary character to persist in determined ambition? Or is our book a study in self-destruction? To have redemption through unexpected honor? or to exhibit nihilistic futility. In my late teens and all through my 20s, I tinkered with that idea of nihilistic futility for my characters. With age came experiences that wrecked vicious claws across heart and soul. I no longer desire such angst and senselessness for my protagonist. That focus may climb out of the tomb I built around it. For now, though, I'm after happily ever afters. If you write nihilistic futility, I don't condemn you. It's just no longer to my taste. I used to hate cilantro, too. I really like it now. Protagonists, even in happily ever after endings, face dilemmas with alternative consequences which cause doom. The path you drive your characters along is your choice. Whichever path, you should never give your primaries an easy way out. Sacrifice. Honor through wounds builds our characters, and our readers admire those sacrifices. Give them difficulties, give them failures, and give them triumphs. A steady downward trajectory will work in dramatic forms when people have made an effort to attend the theater. For novels, though, reader engagement remains only as long as the reader keeps the book open. An unhappy reader may close the book and never return. The balance of angst and happiness can be difficult to achieve. Growth only occurs through trials. Transformation depends upon failure more than success. That success, however, brings the reader to the next book and the next and the next. A protagonist's difficulties can arise from one of the three C's, choice, coercion, 
and compulsion. Choice is self-driven. We choose every hour of every day what we will do. Volition can be a strong driver of action. If we're not acting on something, we do not want it enough. Discipline is needed to drive the will to achieve the goal. Yet many people drift, letting dreams waft away while petty details drive their lives. More powerful than choice is coercion, being forced by a person or circumstance to pursue a goal. Coercion, though, creates rebellion. Push down one narrow path, some will peer over the ever-narrowing walls to find an escape. Temporary escapes do not release the pulverizing tension. They often increase the need, especially as the giant grindstones abrade the spirit, exposing still-sensitive traumas. If the spirit is beyond abrasion, the grindstones will gradually disintegrate the self until only a malleable, sifty substance remains. The world of education has a few appropriate terms used to define classroom participation by students. The modern classroom is an excellent model of a socially accepted and daily countered coercive environment. First, engagement, actively involved in learning. Second, ritual compliance, learning because it is required. Three, passive compliance, the appearance of learning without actual learning. Four, retreatism, refusing to learn yet not being disruptive. And fifth, rebellion, disruption to prevent learning by the person disrupting as well as by all those around. For creative writers, these five reactions will translate to many different scenarios. Of the three, choice, coercion, and compulsion, compulsion is the most powerful driving force. It's an inner power pump rooted in both future and past, goal and memory combining to create an atomic engine. Compulsions originate at the cellular level. When so deep, it can be impossible to displant, even with psychological help. Compulsions twist wistful longings into lustful wants. Such cellular needs bypass rebellion. An alternate path is never considered. Drifting turns into trinatic winds, often destructive far beyond the self. Antagonist, the conflict creator, is a mirror image of the protagonist, reflected through glass darkly. The antagonist can be a person, place, thing, or idea. From the middle grades, you remember the five types of conflict, man versus man, self, nature, society, God, or the supernatural to which we now add man versus machine. Antagonists participate in the seesaw synergy of the plot, acting and reacting, focusing on achieving their goals and preventing the protagonist from doing so. This seesaw or tug of war should craft unexpected twists for the synergistic development of the story. Just as hero is a simplistic term for protagonist, villain is a simplistic term for a true antagonist. While the word comes to us from the old French and medieval Latin for farmhand, it developed from a pejorative connotation that became easily applied to the evildoer by the 1800s. Painted in the gloomier shades of the spectrum, this worker for evil is concerned only with personal selfish desires, which often are twisted attempts to cause hurt and harm to others. In the cartoons, the hero, a mighty mouse, or Dudley Durai, saves the day. 
snidely whiplash, and other villains delight in evil for its own sake. Even in children's stories, in the fairy tales throughout the world, these two primary characters, protagonist and antagonist, are not painted as starkly as the cartoons would have us think. Children can understand nuances. They want their world to be clearly right or wrong, don't we all? By the time they pass early childhood, however, they understand the shadings along the spectrum. You may wish to write straw man villains, easily defeated by your hero. Certain stories do call for such simple and clear distinctions. We take great pleasure in the defeat of the starkly drawn villains in the Iron Man franchise. Yet very little in life is so easily boxed into a single category. Protagonists often lack the facts necessary to understand the extent of the antagonist treachery. Wickham, in Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, is a perfect antagonist to Elizabeth and Darcy, who is the bright mirror to Wickham's dark one. Look how Austen paints Wickham for Elizabeth Bennet. He is a charming and handsome young man, honorable in his willingness to enter the military and potentially sacrifice himself for his country. He has a tragic background of goals thwarted by a petty and jealous man who despises him for the lowly status of his birth. Even we the readers see nothing to darken our vision of Wickham. Only when facts are revealed, facts that were hidden to protect an innocent girl's reputation, do we discover Wickham's manipulative behavior that seeks only short-term adulation and the easiest path through harming others. By then, Wickham has hooked another innocent, Elizabeth's young sister, Lydia. Only Darcy, riding ventre a terre in the best heroic fashion, can defeat Wickham's worst tendencies. The best antagonists, then, hide their evil at the beginning. The revelation of this evil will shock the unsuspecting protagonist. Defeating the antagonist becomes personally necessary. Antagonists should have goals that mirror the protagonist, which automatically creates the constancy of the push-pull synergy. Wickham first fastens upon Elizabeth, as does Darcy. Frodo and Gollum have the ring to connect them, and we discover more similarities as the Lord of the Ring continues. Aragorn and Boromir, also from Lord of the Rings, are more similar than different, and we see touches of the Boromir antagonistic personality and other rulers that Aragorn encounters. In Star Wars, Vader wants the destruction of the Rebellion. Skywalker characters want the destruction of the Empire that necessitated the Rebellion. The Hobbit film had an inherent weakness in that it lacked this synergy connecting a central protagonist with a central antagonist. In great literature, the antagonistic energy is spread without dissipation through several characters. Defeating one character does not solve the issue. The pervading antagonist can never be defeated and only grows like kudzu faster than any eradication effort. Well-written antagonists come in four shades, vile evil, uncaring of what must occur, only focused on what it wants. An example, laughing as a child is thrown from a parapet, as happens in The Trojan Women by Euripides. A conscience-driven evil, knowing that bad events must occur in order to bring about what is perceived as a good. The evil still occurs, but it is viewed as justified. 
An example is taking the golden fleece, which necessitates the killing of Medea's brother. Yet it allows the Argonauts to escape and return with a lucky fleece to Greece, which is the quest for the golden fleece. Unconscious evil or blind evil, not understanding that evil will result from actions that are taken. For example, driving recklessly and never seeing the car that was run off the road by the reckless driver, which is any drunk driver. Passive evil, attempting to remain uninvolved in a mistaken belief that inaction will prevent the stain of evil from adhering. Schindler's List is an example of a person who saw the evil occurring and worked to prevent as much of it as possible. The 38 people who heard Kitty Genovese screaming as she was murdered, yet did nothing to help or even to call the police, happened in New York City in 1964. Note well that we've talked more about the antagonist than the protagonist. Strong antagonists automatically strengthen your protagonist. While they are not required to be diametrically opposed, they should have connections, either in goals or on the value scale. The Right Focus is currently in the series all about characters, from building and presenting a character to relationships, leadership styles, team roles, and special touches for characters. Avoid creating characters who are stereotypes. Reveal their public and private interiors. Focus on couples, mentors, enemies, and much, much more. The information comes from M.A. Lee's guidebook, Discovering Characters, part of the Discovering series on the writing craft. Link to the guidebooks are in the show notes. Thanks for listening to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by M.A. Lee from Writers, Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at winkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.